Well, today, to begin our sermon, we're going to play a little game. The name of the game is, Is This in the Bible? So I'm going to give you a phrase or a verse, and, and I want you to try to guess whether it's in the Bible or it's not in the Bible. All right, so here we go. Everything happens for a reason. Is that in the Bible or not in the Bible? A lot of people quote it like it is, but it is, in fact, not in the Bible. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Yes, Proverbs 31, 6. This above all to thine own self be true. You've heard that before, right? But it's not in the Bible. It's Shakespeare in Hamlet. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Ouch. But it is, in fact, in the Bible, Proverbs 21.9. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Yes, Proverbs 15.18. Cleanliness is next to godliness. A lot of people say that, but it is not in the Bible. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Sounds sort of poetic, poetic right? But it's Proverbs 31.6. God helps those who help themselves. A lot of Christians toss this one around, but I want to tell you, it is not in the Bible. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Yes, that is in the Bible. 2 Kings 2.23. Some, some, young, some young people are making fun of Elisha, saying, go up, get out of here, bald head. Get out of here, baldy. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. That can't be in the Bible, right? Yes, Ecclesiastes says some wild and crazy things, and that's one of them in chapter 10, verse 19. God never gives you more than you can handle. Man, I hear Christians say this one all the time, and it is not in the Bible. This, too, shall pass. Again, not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. So, so think about these phrases. I mean, well, they teach us a couple of things, right? One, the Bible has some really weird stuff. And these, this isn't even the weirdest stuff. I, I much edited my list of weird stuff in the Bible. But also take note that there are a number of things that Christians often say, particularly in uh, times of pain and suffering, that are not in the Bible. These Platitudes are, are often meant to diminish the pain we are feeling or the disruption of terrible times. And they're sort of like disguised as scripture, like a lot of people seem to think they are scripture, but they're not truly gospel statements. And, and as I do funerals and as I, we've been talking about this pandemic, I start to hear them more and more. Now, there is one that is in scriptures that I hear sometimes, and that's Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So there you go. Yes, everything works out for, for the Christian. If you're good, if you're called by God, everything will work out fine. But I want to say this is probably one of the, the worst quoted and misinterpreted verses that, uh, that we get in the scriptures. And I, I think if you take a deep look at the context of this verse, 
and then dive into the, some of the translation issues with this verse, trying to understand in English what it's actually saying in Greek, what you're going to find is that there, there's a lot of challenges with the way we interpret this verse. So let's unpack this. Let me uh, read the entire section. It's a little bit longer. Romans 8, 18 through 32. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, for, what we, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the faith according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. But those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. So let's walk through this section of scripture. Uh, first, Paul admits that there's suffering in this world. Of course he must. Paul was shipwrecked and whipped and stoned and beaten with rods. Okay, Paul would not have, have said, this too shall pass, because anything that passed for Paul was just the entry for the next thing that he was going to have to deal with. Paul admits that there will be suffering in this present time. But he doesn't consider the present suffering to really mean much when compared to the future glory that we have. He acknowledges that something's wrong with the world. In fact, creation is groaning. This is a theme you find a number of places in Scripture. That, that the whole of creation is affected by sin, and it, and it groans, and it aches for a world that is different. But the, the groaning, he says, is like childbirth. It's, it's the groaning, the pain, before new life begins. But not just creation. Humanity is uh, waiting for a world to be fixed. I mean, deep down, we all know something is wrong with this world. It's not as it should be. We long for our adoption into a fully committed, right relationship with the Father. 
How many of you felt or heard some groaning in your bodies as you got out of bed this morning? You can feel your body saying, this is not how things are supposed to be. We long in our aching body for the upgrade that we believe is coming. I'm sure we can't see that process, but this is exactly why we must hope. We must wait patiently, even in our sufferings. To be clear, Paul's hope is not that everything happens for a reason, as if things work out and suffering always turns around good. Like in five years, you're going to look back and laugh about this pain that you're feeling now. No, I don't, I don't think that's what Paul would say. That seems to be what a lot of Christians say, but it's not what Paul would say. Paul's taking this eternal view. Like someday the world will not be this way. And my pain will be so far behind me and from such a different world that it's not even worth it's not even going to be worth thinking about then. If that's true, how do we get through the sufferings of the present time? Well, Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Have you ever been so filled with sorrow that you can't even speak? Or have you cried so long that you can't find words anymore to say? In those moments, Paul says the Spirit prays on our behalf. The Spirit can search our hearts, can know what we mean, and can in his own way groan before God, the Father, so that the Father can hear the inner groanings of our hearts with groanings that are too deep for words. At this point, Paul gets to the verse we're interested in. I'm going to come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it, and then we'll come back to it. Okay. After our verse, Paul goes into a sequence of God's pursuing us. First, he predestines us. He chooses us before we're born. Then he calls us. Okay, He comes to us, pursues us, woos us to his will. Then we are justified or made right as we should be based on the, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And then we're glorified. We're eventually made into the person that we are supposed to be. Now, I don't want to get off into the weeds about a lot of uh, discussion about predestination. That's a conversation for another day. The big idea here is God's relentless love for you and I. That God's coming after us with his love. He's coming after us with his grace. The implication of that love is that, that when we suffer, we can trust that God is with us. And that God is, uh, is not abandoning us. And that our suffering will not be forever. And then Paul finishes this section with a sort of conclusion to, to this entire section. Because he's really going to change trajectories. He's going to change his argument to something else in Romans chapter 9. Remember, it was a letter. There was no chapter 9 there. So he wanted to sort of mark this section off as being done. Um, and, uh, you know, that he was starting to talk about something else. So he says, what shall we say of these things? Right? Okay, so, so what's the summation of what I'm trying to say? Okay, what does he say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since God gave up Jesus for us, uh, so, so we, can, we, we can know that there's nothing that's even going to remotely threaten our eternal relationship with Christ. Um, I mean, if, if Jesus, if, if God was, was so serious about his love for us that he gave up his son, then we can be confident that God is with us. And God is for us. Now, with that context in mind, let's look back at our verse. Let me read it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are, who are called according to his, his purpose. First of all, that's an awkward verse, right? It's like all over the place. 
lots of paragraphs and little parent and it's it's clunky in english and that's because it's kind of clunky in greek um and th this is a verse that's often quoted uh, about uh about you know god making miraculous uh swooping in and making good something that's bad in your life uh, but let's think of the, let's think about this a little bit in greek okay the the greek here remember it, these words are written in greek that uh by the way didn't have uh caps and lowercase didn't have punctuation and they didn't even have space uh between the words when this stuff was originally written and uh in greek uh word order is not as important so you can you can mix up word order and sometimes the word phrases can mean different things in different areas and there's lots of prepositions like before on for against and, and some of those can mean different things based on the context based on where it's used in a sentence and so it's a little bit tricky to translate this verse in fact if you go on your on your uh, uh, computer and you look up this verse in different translations you can find all kinds of variety because it can come out a lot of different ways that's just part of the nature of translation i mean you can go on google translate and enter in a paragraph and then change it to like spanish and then change it back to English, and it won't be the same because uh, things change in translation. Okay, so I, I'm not going to do too much Greek, but you, but I need you to, to understand the, the challenge here. Okay, um, the uh, the the challenge starts with the word the the verb. The verb means to co to work together or to co labor. The word is synergio. Okay. It's, it's the word from which we get the word synergy. Okay, so working together, normally with somebody else. Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 16, 16 and 2 Corinthians 6, 1, both to talk about God and people working together. Okay, the real struggle in translating this verse, and all the different translations make different choices on this, is uh, what is the subject of the sentence? In other words, who is doing the working together? A lot of translations, following the old King James Version, the English Standard, which is what I read, make all things the subject. So some of you may have learned this verse. All things work together for good. So who's working together? All things. But there's another way to read this verse where God is the subject. So God is working together. Or God is making all things work together. See, so you can already see some of this kind of trickiness. So some translations like the NIV understand God to be the subject of the sentence. God works together with, well, that depends on how you read the rest of it. Some translations that say that God makes all things work together, but others suggest that God works together in all things. But then the question is still, who is God working together with? Well, then there's this idea of the one who loves God, agape, the one who loves God, and the one who is called according to God's purpose or design or fit. Um, uh, some translations um, kind of wrestle with some of these words. Many translations understand God working all things uh, for good for those who love God and for those who are called by his plan. So the question is, um, is, is it, for or to the person. So God's working in all things to, I, I would suggest that the better translation is with. 
So, so I might render this whole thing something like this. God works together with those who love him and are called according to his purpose to bring good things in all things. Now, if you read it that way, I think it, it makes a lot of sense in terms of the context, right? I mean, I, I don't think that Paul can be writing in this context that everything miraculously works out, that God takes your pain and turns it into a happily ever ending. Okay, there is an eventual happily ever after, but that's not what Paul's saying. Imagine Paul, who's been beheaded and all this, saying those kind of things. I mean, imagine Paul saying, God never gives you more than you can handle. He was beheaded. Okay, he, he did not handle that. But hey, Paul would never have a theology that says God never gives you any more, more than you can handle. He had all kinds of stuff he barely handled. And then he died beheaded. No, I think the real, the, the, what's really going on in this verse is that, that Paul can ignore his sufferings or at least look past them to some great beyond where things will get fixed. But, but it's not like a passive, oh, you just got a deal, you know what I mean? Don't feel your pain too much because it'll work out in the end. No, you feel your pain, right? So, so here, here's our thinking then. You know, you can kind of think of this. Step one, uh, we know there's another a happy ending coming someday, and so it gives us the faith to live through our pain now. And, and we sh- number two, we should lament that things are bad and groan with nature. And when we can't groan, the Holy Spirit will groan on our behalf. Number three, we should expect God to be with us in our pain and struggles. And number four, we should be ready to live a life uh, of love for God and uh, according to God's purpose. Because, because what I think Paul is ultimately saying in this verse is, God wants to work together with you and with me to bring good out of all these circumstances. He calls you. He has a purpose for you. And he loves you. And part of that love means that he's going to call you to be a co-laborer, a co-worker with them in this world. So sometimes life is hard. Sometimes things don't work out. But God is always with us. The end of the story gives us hope that these struggles really won't compare. We won't be thinking about them in the end. And God is working together with his people to bring good. So do me a favor. As you talk about people, talk with people about their losses and then their grief, as you talk about, uh, you know, all this pandemic stuff, give up the fortune cookie proverbs please lay down the platitudes instead when bad things happen just say that they're bad things and you cry and lament with others don't seek passive acceptance of bad things trying to trick your mind into being okay with something no look for the opportunity for god to work through you and with you to bring good from them Not just passively waiting for God, but saying, no, I love God. I'm called according to his purpose. And whatever good is going to come out of this pandemic or this grief or this bad thing that happened, whatever good is going to come out of that, God's going to do it through his people. 